0: Good morning, so glad you're with us at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein, one of the pastors here. Thank you, team, for leading us and, and uh, helping us to remove distractions. You know, we come in here every week, and um, we all bring things to this place, things on our hearts, things on our minds, and uh, it's important for us to lay those things down. Because those are not as important as what we do for these few minutes that we're in here. That we just totally focus on our good God, how He loves us, what He wants to do in us. He is worthy of that focused attention. Amen? So I'm so grateful for you and how you worship and uh, our church. We've been in a series in Ephesians for several weeks. Uh, We only have a few messages left. Paul has been doing an amazing job. I've just loved this study. Paul is helping us to see that as people, our only hope is in Jesus, right? Our only hope is in Jesus. And when we know Jesus as our savior, our lives ought to look different than when we didn't. I wanna say that again, because we need to know this, right? Our lives ought to look different now that we are in Christ. So not, not like who we were, We don't live like we used to live. We live how God is calling us to live as a people who are in Christ. And so the church in Ephesus needed to hear this. They're they're living amongst a a pagan culture. This is a very rough place. Uh, Bad things go on in in Ephesus because that's what happens apart from Christ, right? Society, culture just spirals down into sinful uh, chaos. But with Christ, he gives us purpose. And real life, Jesus said, I've come to give you abundant life. And when we're in Christ, we have that. We have that hope in Jesus and our lives ought to look different. To be a Christ follower, I think Paul is trying to say to the Ephesians, it's more than just a prayer you prayed at at church camp. It's more than just a prayer you prayed in church a, a long time ago. To follow Jesus is an active, conscious intentional lifestyle of obeying God's word living in God's ways committed to God's people that's what it means to follow Christ so he, he's given us this really honestly a how-to book kind of this is how you live as believers in the book of Ephesians he's told us you might remember I, I love to bring this up because it's such a major piece of Ephesians but in chapter 2 Paul said that being a Christian and this this thing we call Christianity, it's a new humanity, right? We're not who we were. No, there's a brand new humanity through Christ. This is a new way to live. And then because we're new in Christ and we gather together as believers, now there's a new society called the church. So we live differently as a people of God and we commune differently. We gather differently a- and we live differently, connected to one another, encouraging one another to live as a people in Jesus right that's who we ought to be and it's a miracle I mean it's a full-on miracle that different people from different races and cultures and economic status in the first century especially and even now get along love one another care for one another it's a miracle and Paul calls it a mystery that Jews and Gentiles could come together as brothers and sisters no longer enemies But he's torn down the dividing wall, which was literally a wall around the the temple that kept out Gentiles and Jews. No, that that wall's torn down. Now now we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We come together, we care for one another in the body of Christ. The last couple of messages, Paul has focused this section of Ephesians on the house. Uh, Theologians call this the household order, the table rules. If you will literally like if you're looking at a house Paul looked into the house and he said okay there's husbands and and wives and as husbands and wives who know Jesus are now in Jesus it's a new humanity this is a new way to be husbands and wives this is the way God has always intended for people to be husbands and wives right and he gives us some directives this is how Christian people live as married people it's wonderful And it compliments one another. And it blesses our families. And oh, how we need to follow God's order and design for our homes and our marriage. Then Paul speaks to children. Children, obey your parents. This is how it works. Honor them. There's a blessing for you even in honoring them. Uh, He says to us as parents, parents, raise up your children in the way, the instruction, the discipline of the Lord. So he's going down the house Of different people in the home and I want you to know in the first century there was somebody else in the home it's different than today but he was just going down the order of people in the home and in the home in the first century was masters and slaves so I want us to to consider how different that is from our culture and we're gonna do some exegesis we're gonna exegete that culture we're gonna break it apart take a look at it, and differentiate it from what we understand slavery to be. And we're going to take a look at what God is actually saying to us today. This is how we're going to take a look at this. But first, let's look in the Word. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Paul speaks to bondservants or slaves. He says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, But as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Pray with me this morning father we love you we thank you for the beauty of this family the church god we thank you so much that you have a plan for each of us who are in christ to know you to love you to become yours to look more like you every single day as a result of this sanctifying changing process in us and even together as the body of christ there this system of support and life it's not our idea god it's your idea and this is your church You're the pastor of this church, and we submit to you and what you want us to do and how to live as believers in family called the church. And Lord, today I pray that you would lead us to all truth by your Spirit. Give us clarity from one culture to another and help us to to take out of this word what you want to speak to us in our everyday lives today. God, I pray that you would help me to decrease in this moment, that you would increase by your grace and mercy, by your Spirit, Help us to be obedient to what you're calling us to. Humble us today to one another, to love. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hey, can we talk about the elephant in the room? Can we do that for a minute? Every time either I'm reading something about masters and slaves, hearing something, my heart sort of just, just I get this weird Full of, My heart gets full of, of shame and fear and anger, uh, sadness. It brings up so many thoughts and images of American slavery. It does, and it should. It should. God forgive us. Uh, it, American slavery had to do with kidnapping and enslavement of human beings. Even as I was working through this text this week, I was thinking about something I'd seen in Washington DC there's a place called the Museum of the Bible and they have at that museum they have a thing called the Slave Bible. And they have it on an exhibit to show how ugly it is and wrong it is and to to bring light to it so that we will never get here again. But this silly book was created in uh, the early 1800s by a mission agency, mind you, in Britain with. The idea, or in their minds, I think the heart, to help slaves know Jesus. And so they, they, they took, but this is what they did. They took 90% of the Old Testament out of it, and 50% of the New Testament out of it. And then they, they call that the slave Bible, and they give it to slaves. Hoping to better the lives of slaves, yet keep them enslaved. Evil. wrong. And yet that is something that exists. And I couldn't help but think about our text because this text today would have been some of those that they omitted from the Bible. (laughs) Things like, uh, they would have kept in, slaves obey your masters, right? Let's keep that part. And then they would have, they've taken out uh, the part for masters to do the same for the slaves, for masters to stop threatening I don't want them to know that. Or that God is the master of both slave and master. That every man is, is equal. That God shows no partiality. That's the part they take out, right? Friends, it's important for us, and I, I want us to take a look at this, because anytime often we look at the Bible and we see stories of slavery and masters, all of a sudden we go to our context, our definition of what we know of slavery this ugly reality that is part of our history. But I want you to know as we look in this story and in this letter that is 2,000 years old, it is not the same definition. We need to understand their context, okay? It's still not a great context. It's still not a good situation, but it's also not American slavery. So I want to just give you some examples of what uh, Roman slavery is, is like in the first century. First of all, it's part of literally almost every home. That's why when Paul's looking into the house and he says, husbands, wives, parents, kids, slaves, masters. It's like, this is a part of, of every home. Either every home had a slave involved or somebody in the family was a slave for somebody else's home. It was literally the economic culture of the Mediterranean region. There were 60 million slaves in 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 rome throughout the roman empire okay and not just domestic or manual laborers either well i'm talking about educated people there were there were people who were doctors and teachers and administrators who voluntarily gave themselves to slavery now i'm not going to make the point that there was not horrible situations with some slaves there is in fact all slavery is a bad horrible idea but it was a different system in Rome. I just want us to get that, okay? It's a little bit of a different system. In fact, Roman slaves expected to be liberated at some point. It was just, they, they, just going to be part of the deal. They would give themselves over in many ways to slavery, and they would be liberated at some point. In fact, 50% were liberated before the age of 30. Often slaves were freed, and after they were freed, they were given the profession of their master, almost like an apprenticeship. And so then they would leave to have their own business and their own understanding of that business and go on to do really, really well. It's just a different sort of of thing. In fact, it wasn't uncommon for people to volunteer as a slave, to pay off debt or whatever the case may be, learn a trade, come out of slavery, and go on to be high-ranking officials in society and government. You might remember when we studied through the book of Acts, we talked about one of the judges that was overseeing the trials of Paul in Caesarea. Remember his name was Felix, remember that name? Felix was a slave. Somehow Felix has gone from being a slave to the governor of Caesarea, living in the palace of Caesar. I mean, just opulent, unbelievable power. And yet he was a slave. So it just gives you a different kind of context. Now, critics of the Bible... And there's a bunch of them. (laughs) We'll look at passages like this and say, see, the Bible condones and even advocates for slavery. See? Because Paul didn't call it out. I say, that's ridiculous. And what I want to show you this morning is that some of the comments Paul's going to make are revolutionary. They're revolutionary. And we need to see that for what it is this morning. Paul lays out a vision for equality. He gives this Christian ethic that in the Roman Empire begins to undermine this system of slavery and break it apart. Paul encourages in 1 Corinthians 7 uh, that you can, you can, if you can get out of slavery, you should do that. It was like an option. Like people had the, the option, yeah, I can work towards being out of slavery. So he said if you can do that, you should do that. This is not a good thing. And then a little bit later, he speaks to his friend in in this letter of Philemon. Uh, Philemon was a slave master, but he says to Philemon, he says, "Your slave Onesimus, he says, don't look at him like a slave anymore. Look at him like your brother." You see, Christianity at this time was a very small sect. Paul didn't have the power to say, "Let's overturn slavery." The way we know it, if he had done that, it would have wrecked the, the economic system all throughout that region, and, and they wouldn't have been able to do it anyway. So the, these things that Paul is saying, they're undermining this understanding of slavery. In fact, the very first letter Paul writes to the Galatian church, another revolutionary statement, I want us to look at it this morning. He says, we're all one, Galatians three twenty seven, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Now, do we understand how big of a hatred and prejudice and dividing wall there was between Jew and Greek? Paul says there's no more. There is neither slave nor free. He's making a statement here against the system and a culture. He's not condoning in any way. There is no male and female. Do you understand? The common cultural feelings towards women. Jewish men would wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm so thankful I'm not a a woman or a Gentile. A Gentile dog, they would say. So for Paul to say, no, 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 no. There may be places in the world where there's slaves and free people. It's not so with believers in Jesus. There may be a place in the world where women are treated less than, when they are not cared for, when they are not valued for the gift and beautiful creation that they are that complements our lives. But as believers, it will not be so. It may be acceptable in some places of the world for Jews and Greeks to be at each other, but in Jesus, it will not be because we are one. Do we see that? Th- that's just who, this is who we are in this new society This is who we are. So how do we interpret a text like ours this morning? We don't have slaves in our homes. We're not masters. Sad reality is that, however, this is not over. You know, I've heard people say, I'm so glad slavery doesn't exist. I'm like, oh, oh, wait. Slavery actually exists more now in the world than it ever has before. Maybe not that you know of. But even right here in Little Rock, even throughout the country, throughout the world, there is this horrible reality of slavery. But but for those of us who who don't see that or experience that, now obviously we've got to work to end that, but how do we we take this text and say, Lord, what do do I learn from it? So there's not an exact correlation. We can't take that. But I do believe with all my heart God is wanting to, to show us and teach us as believers in Jesus of this new humanity and even in this new society, the church, how we live and work. How do we work? What are our attitudes about work? You know, many of you may not like to work, but work is not a bad thing. (laughs) Work is not a part of a fall of sin, right? Like there's some bad stuff. There's some deformities and all kinds of evil and sin. Work is not one of the things that happened after the fall. Work was given to us, we see in Genesis 2, as something God wanted for us as a part of his design. We're supposed to work. It's a good thing, but often we've taken work and we've made it this laborious, Ugh, I hate it, right? And it ought to be something that we see as a gift from God, and it all changes with our perspective in what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about Jesus. Look with me as Paul speaks to the bond servant first, the employee, if you will. Verse 5, bond servants, obey earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. So the very first thing Paul tells slaves to do, employees in our context, it's the same thing he told children to do, which is obey. Just do what is asked of you. When someone tells you to do something, go do it. If, if you work for someone, obey what they're telling you to do. Then he adds this, this caveat. Do it with fear and trembling now. It's like, hold up. You want, me to, you want me to be afraid of my boss? You want me to tremble before my boss and act, oh, whatever? No. That's not what Paul's speaking of. Paul is saying... Because you do it as unto the God of the universe. Because you work for the Lord, God Almighty, high and lifted up, we ought to work for the people that are in front of us, our bosses, with fear and trembling. Because we fear them? No. Because we fear God. He's the one we work for. And that's what this whole text is going to get around. We don't, we don't fear and tremble our boss. We obey Jesus. You might remember last week I said, children... Look through your parents and see the Lord. And so when you obey them, yes, you're obeying them, but more so you're obeying God Almighty. In the same way, employees, obey your bosses, not because you're obeying them specifically, but because you're obeying the Lord. See through them to the Lord who's given you the blessing of this work. He says, do it with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Let me ask you this, if, if you made a product or you, you have a job, many of us are going back to our work in the morning, if Jesus showed up at your house in the morning just before you're having coffee, you know, and he's like, hey, go do your work today and do it like you've never done it before, are we clear? And you'd be like, okay, okay, all right, I'm going to work, it would be the greatest day of work ever. You'd be so productive, your product or your effort, you'd come back, be able to go, ha, take a look at what I, right? This is what he's saying to do. Paul's saying, do it as if Jesus himself asked you to do it. Do it with fear and trembling because God of the universe has given you this directive. Do it with a better attitude. Do a better job. He uses this word, do it with sincerity. And the word sincerity means singleness of heart. And often we go to our work and we go, "I got okay, yeah, these are the things I have to do, but I'll be able to not have to worry about that too much until the ball shows up, I better focus on the... We have a divided heart often, and that divided heart is about what we want, which is sometimes laziness and sinfulness, and then sometimes about what our boss wants. (laughs) Paul says, have a singularness of heart, that you're honoring Christ with how you work and how you serve. John Stott says, it is possible for the housewife to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it. Or to spring clean the house as if Jesus Christ were to be the honored guest. It is possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat patients and nurses to care for them, for solicitors to help clients, shop assistants to serve customers, accountants to audit books, and secretaries to type letters. As if in each case, they were serving Jesus Christ. It is possible that we work this way. So he gives further direction. He says, Okay, obey, but don't just obey as a way of eye service or uh, people pleasers. You know what he means by that, right? Lori and I were shopping not too long ago over here at the outlet mall, <laughs> and uh, we walked into a store, and um, there were two girls working. They were both sitting behind the counter, up on the counter on their phones. Didn't say a word. We kind of walked by them. Sounded like a ghost town in there. I was like, hey, how's it going? They're like, Hey. Back to their phones. I was like, wow. I just, I thought, man, if their boss knew that this is how they were working, oh my goodness, right? You think if the boss or the owner walked into that that store, they would go, hey, boss. No, they'd be like, folding clothes. How can I help you? What can I, there would be a change, wouldn't there? Even all of us probably have that sense. When somebody walks in, yep, I'm, I'm on the task, right? Paul says, don't let that be. Don't do it just because somebody's watching you that you want to impress. Don't don't do it that way. Instead, have a heart to serve. In fact, he says, as bondservants of Christ. Not even as bondservants of this master, of this man. But as a bondservant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And I think that's such an interesting phrase. And let me show you what it means. Tomorrow when you're at your work, you will be doing the will of God. The Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances. You may have the worst job, stinky, awful, dirty. You you may not like it at all. You might not like it at all. But if God has given you that job to provide for your family and you work with this attitude, you are in God's will as you do that job. Do you see it as that? Students, as you're doing homework, as you're working, as as you're obeying your parents, you're in God's will. And you can have an attitude of, I am going about my work because this is God's will. I've told the story before about uh, NASA, this man who's he's sweeping this long hall down the halls of NASA, and a, and a film crew comes by and says, hi, sir, what, what are you doing today? He said, I'm putting people on the moon. And I love that because his vision was greater than I'm pushing a broom down a hall, and I'm picking up trash, and I'm, I'm cleaning toilets. No, I'm putting a man on the moon. I'm a part of this team. My vision is greater. I have a greater purpose. I'm working for something more than myself. This is a blessing that God has given me to provide for my family. So let me ask you this. In your work, do you see it as a part of God's will? He's allowed your work and your position and your boss all to be a part of his will in this moment in your life. So submit your work. Submit your effort, submit your attitude, your work ethic to Jesus and work like nobody's business because you have a singularness of heart to honor the Lord. I love how Paul mentions Jesus in every single verse. Go back and look at it. Every single verse he mentions Jesus or the Lord or the Lord will help or whatever the case may be because you know what? This kind of submission, this kind of attitude is going to take Jesus Every single day. It is. Because some of us work for people we don't like. Some of us are in a situation that is so difficult. To, you get up on Monday and you go, oh, I don't want to go. But what if you had a change of heart? And you said, oh God, you provide so beautifully for my family. Oh God, I have an opportunity to be on mission with you in a place that needs Jesus. Oh God, give me a heart and an attitude and a work ethic that brings you glory. So employees, Paul says, obey your boss, but obey them like you're obeying Jesus with a right heart, a right attitude, just as you would if Jesus had told you what to do. Knowing that this is part of God's will in your life. This is a part of God's will. If if you want it to change, pray about that. But but until it does, honor God right where you are. I love the story of Joseph. It's a hard story to read. And, and if you're a, a person that likes uh, justice, you won't like the story. It's not fair. But God uses every broken moment of your life to grow you into the image of Jesus. He uses every uh, lack in your bank account to trust Jesus. What is he doing in you, in your work? Are you allowing that growth? Are you seeing that with faith, knowing that this is God's will for my life in this moment? Do your work with joy. He says to do it with goodwill as to Jesus, not man. In other words, he is your boss, not man. And lastly, we forget this, I think, a lot. He says do it because Not because man's watching, your boss is watching. Do it because God's watching. God sees it all. And he doesn't only see it, but he rewards good work. Do we think about that often? Going to work this week, because I know God is going to reward me of how I work and how I honor him. But he will. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. God rewards work done as unto the Lord. Do we remember that? Do we think about that? Last thing I want you to think about as an employee. In verse 8, Paul says, This applies to people who are slaves and to people who are free. <laughs> Whether you have a job or you don't have a job and you don't need a job, all of us ought to have this attitude. When we serve people, when we help out, when we volunteer, any kind of work that we do, it ought to be done with the heart of a bondservant to Christ, not men, but to Christ. Secondly, we have Paul and he's gonna to speak to employers It says in verse 9, Masters, do the same to them. Again, listen, this is the revolutionary statement here, right? Masters, do the same to them and and stop your threatening. Can you imagine being in a church, a house church around Ephesus, and hearing that phrase, and you're a master? Can you you repeat that? What, What did you just say? Masters, do the same to them, stop your threatening. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And that there is no partiality with him. Revolutionary for that context. For that culture. Unheard of. Paul says it may be okay for some of this culture and some of this society. It's not okay for you if you're in Jesus. This is not how we live. There is no partiality with God. As a Christian, as a part of the church of Jesus, there is uh, no hierarchy. We're all equal. No one is better than anyone else. We're all brothers and sisters, regardless of class, regardless of money, race, job, title, education, income, political party. We are all brothers and sisters. He tells masters, you got to have the same heart. Do you remember what he told us in Ephesians 5? Uh, Verse 21, to the church, this blanket statement, to the church, submit to one another. Period. (laughs) Submit to one another. This is how we love. This is how we represent Jesus. This is how we become more like Jesus. He tells them, have the same heart, the same attitude that I just mentioned to the slaves. Masters, this is what you, you have to do. Have the same attitude, submitting to one another, encouraging one another. God expects the same thing from you. You're no better. I love how Paul, when you look at this, he speaks to both sides of this. He speaks to the servant because as a servant it would be hard to serve someone else like this, right? you You would be tempted to not serve with a whole heart, with excellence. I don't have to do it, right? So he speaks to that issue. But he also speaks to the issues of master's. It says, do the same to them. You're expected to do all that I just mentioned to them, but also stop your threatening because it would have been tempting as a master to threaten. You ever been threatened before? For a job? You ever had somebody say something to you that made your heart just almost stop? John Stott Says that there's uh, threats are a weapon the powerful wield over the powerless. Christian leaders, Christian employers, don't threaten your employees. That's not good leadership. We we need to understand that God's way is inspiration. (laughs) We inspire, we don't threaten, we love, we serve others to leadership. As the King of Kings did on his knees. With a towel wrapped around his waist, and he washes their feet, the disciples' feet, and he says, This is who we are. This is what we do. It will be different with you. So he says, Masters know who the real master is. I <laughs> love that. Both their master and yours is in heaven. Mike, drop. Right? You're not the master. Who do you think you are? You're not the boss. God is the boss. You are all equal. Friends, if you're an employer today, if you're manage people, if you're over people, know that someone is over you and his name is Jesus. And what's expected of you is not only to care for your people, but that you will be held accountable for how you care for your people. You're equal, but you're accountable. Lastly, Paul says... A huge statement about God, he says, there is no partiality with him, none. No partiality with God. God doesn't see that you're white collar and your neighbor's blue collar. You're rich and he's poor. You're white and he's black or Hispanic. You're, you're the boss and he's the employee. God expects each of us, regardless of our position, regardless of our title or education, to see the other one as we see ourselves Sound familiar? That's what Jesus said to do. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Don't look down on people. Regardless of what you do for a living, can I just give you a little suggestion as we close? You honor Jesus with the way that you work and serve. Make people ask questions. Make them wonder why you care so much, why you work so hard, why you do your best. Make them ask you when you... When, you, when they ask you, you can say, listen, I don't do this for our team. I mean, I, I do. I'm glad to be part of the team. I, I don't do this for the boss. I mean, I do. But ultimately, I do this for God. My heart is to serve and honor Jesus. And some of you are saying, yeah, but you don't know my boss. I know the type. I worked at a church in Fayetteville, Arkansas, my very first full-time church. And I have, had a couple of deacons there that had it out for me in a pretty major way i had brought choruses into the church dun 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 we were singing choruses and i was ministering to kids of all colors and kids were getting saved and um, i was frustrated with these these men and i went to see a new friend uh he's a financial advisor i was just about to get married we weren't married yet and i went and he said "How's, how's life he goes Tell me, tell me what's going on with you. And I said, man, I'm, I'm not doing well. <laughs> I said, I've got a couple of guys that really have it out for me, and I'm just frustrated. I'm just angry. And he started laughing at me. <laughs> I, I sat back in my chair and I crossed my arms because that's what you do. Oh, really? I said, what, what's so funny? He said, Drew, I don't mean to laugh at you. I, I just want you to see God loves you so much. That didn't help at all in the moment. I went, okay, what does that mean? He goes, no, no, God loves you so much. He's placed these men in your life to make you more like Jesus. He's given you someone to help mold you into the image of Jesus. What a blessing. I still didn't like it. I sat there going, I don't like this or you at this moment. I'm just, I'm, my arms are still crossed. Well, okay. It was such a wonderful lesson to learn. It was such a beautiful season of pain. First Peter 2, 18 says, You who are servants, be good servants to your masters. Not just to the good masters, but also to bad ones. What counts is that you put up with it for God's sake when you're treated badly for no good reason. There's no particular virtue in accepting punishment that you well deserve. If you if you if you're owed this, You ought to get it, right? But if you're treated badly for good behavior and continue in spite of it to be a good servant, that is what counts with God. This is the kind of life you've been invited into, the kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. Friends, even if you have the worst job in the world, God could be honored in your attitude it is God's will for your life in this moment. So whether you're serving an employer, you're caring for employees, know that how you live for Christ is a huge apologetic for the gospel of Jesus. Huge. This is countercultural. This is being countercultural. When you work with such an honest desire to serve Jesus and you do a good work and they're going, "Wow." At some point, they're going to go, what's your deal? And you tell them. Titus 2, 9 and 10 says, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. James 2, 1, when the church had scattered, said, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our lord jesus christ the lord of glory and he paul says to first to timothy in first timothy 6 let all who are under a yoke of bond servants regard their own masters as worthy of it all of all honor so that the name of god and the teaching may not be reviled those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers rather they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved Can I just ask you this morning as we close, listen, who is your master? Will you get there on time tomorrow because the boss told you to or because it will honor God? Will you do good work? Will you love well? Will you honor people? Will you care for people? Will you do it not because it's part of the job but because it honors Jesus see your work as an opportunity to lead people to Christ be countercultural what you do matters but how you do it matters even more and then this is the last thing I'll say we said this a while back in the message when we covered Ephesians 5:18 Paul says do these things by being filled with the spirit how in the world husbands can we do the work that God has called us to how in the world When we're filled with the Spirit, what does a filled with the Spirit husband look like? Right? How does he care for his family? How does a wife who is filled with the Spirit, a child, as a parent when your kid needs disciplining, are we filled with the Spirit in that moment? As people who work for other people and people who are over other people, how do we do our work as people who are filled with the Spirit? I think it's the only way that we'll do it in a way that honors Christ. I want to close this morning. And as I do, I'll just tell you, listen, you might need to come pray about something from work. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a a co-worker you're praying for. Whatever the case, may we be a people of a new humanity who gather in a new society, who live in a new way. This is God's word for God's people to direct us with the right heart, the right attitude in how we work. Amen? Father, we love you. Pray that you'd help us to see this word as a word that um, blesses you, honors you. And God, I pray that you would um, help us in these difficult decisions and times to live our work, live out our work, serve people, do good jobs, have singularness of heart, sincerity of heart, as if we're serving and honoring and and we're told what to do by you and you alone with a smile because, Lord, it's your will. The beauty of your gift of work is part of how you're creating us, Lord, to be who you want us to be. Give us good attitudes to serve you and to serve others in the work you've given us. We pray it in Jesus' name.